The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Sunday, we got to talk about USC's huge win, 30-23 over the Utah Utes Friday night in the L.A. Coliseum. We have Coach Harvey Hyde here. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. Instagram, at Coach Harvey Hyde, or go to his website, HarveyHyde.com, to get his takes on this USC Trojan team. We're going to do that right here over the next hour or so. If you have any questions or comments for us, we always love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email. You guys send a lot of emails, as you can imagine. Also, you could call or text us at 424-254-9141. We did get a lot of phone calls and texts. We'll go through all of those with the coach uh, coming up here in a second. Just want to let people know, please subscribe to the Peristyle Podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, you can subscribe to the Peristyle Podcast. And if they have a place where you can leave us uh, some kind of review or a five-star rating, that would be awesome as well. And tell your friends, hey, I like this USC podcast. Ryan, Coach, Dan, Keeley, Shotgun, all those guys talking about the USC Trojans. Let them know and uh, share it with your friends. That helps us out tremendously. All right, let's bring in the coach to huddle up and buckle up and talk some USC football. What's up, Coach? How are you? Ryan, good morning. Good morning to everyone out there, and um, everyone should have had an enjoyable weekend if you're a USC Trojan fan. That's one thing you have when you play on Friday night. Everybody hates to go to a Friday night game or play on a Friday night, but if you're successful and you win, it's great. You get an extra day to sort of celebrate and watch other teams play and feel relaxed and then look back and see that the Trojans are 3-1 and 2-0 in conference as far as in the Pac-12 South. And you sort of feel good about it. But the future is continuing. You enjoy that just for a little while. And then all of a sudden, the next game is the biggest game of the year. And the next one after that is the biggest game of the year. And that's what coaching and football is all about, Ryan. Yeah, well, this game, I mean, <laughs> coaching, you draw plays. You're you're coaching your players up to play hard and, and all those things. This game just seemed crazy silly in a lot of ways. Like, if you look at statistics or any, I mean, nothing really was favoring USC losing your starting quarterback on the second play of the game. You're playing your, your third string guy. And, you know, it's just so many weird things happened in this game, coach. I mean, do you remember somewhat something like this where all this crazy stuff and 
I know you get the feeling like if they played the game like a hundred more times to get that kind of result in that way, it just seems so unlikely. Well, you know, everyone uh, forgets that the number one stat is the score, and sometimes you have to win ugly, but you got to find a way to make a play to win. And I think if you remember, I tweeted out, you've battled for three quarters, but now who's going to win the war? And the war was in the fourth quarter where you had to win that to win the game. So the fourth quarter is where it all happens. You look at the UCLA game, what were they, down 49-17 or something, and you came back and won. won. So it's a bottom line is the fourth quarter and I think when you look at USC and I don't know where you want to start with this but there's a lot of goods that went on too and a lot of things that uh, made progress the number one thing I liked is how hard the kids wanted the game they really played hard on the offensive line the offensive side of the football they played hard the defensive side of the football they were on the field way too much but they played hard and flew to the football. They missed some tackles, but you don't make them all. But you attempted to win the football game, which the Trojans did, and that's the number one objective, to win. And now they're in first place in the Pac-12 South, and now they move on. So the positive things are they played hard enough to win. They beat a 10th-ranked team in the country. There's no excuses about them uh, or being lucky. They won the football game, and I don't think anybody – thought that there was any luck involved. They made some big plays. Hufanga played a great game. Drake Jackson made a big play as far as the safety. Uh, uh, Pittman made some big plays. He's a gamer. These are gamers I'm talking about. Talk about Matt Fink. He came in and was a gamer and warmed up immediately, went into the football game. And I think part of this podcast should be the talk of the quarterback and the offense that USC runs. And I hate to start off by saying that, but the two first quarterbacks that were 1-2 in the depth chart are gone due to injury. And why are they gone? And they're gone because the offense didn't fit their style as far as being in the pocket where the defense knew where they were. And they took hits in the pocket. And I'm not saying that was a good hit that, that uh, Solis got. I, if anything, if there was a penalty that should have been called, that penalty should have been called, not the slamming to the ground and some of these other penalties that this officiating crew did, especially the one with Reggie Bush, and I want to talk about that later. But if you notice what happened when Man Fink came on the field, the whole scene changed. The offense seemed to have more confidence. He's more physical. He runs around. He avoided sacks. He threw one touchdown pass by avoiding a sack, rolling to his right, and throwing the football. You've got to have an athletic quarterback. You can't allow the defense to know where you're going to be especially when you're a one-back set. Now, when you're a two-back set, that's a little bit different, but you have an extra blocker in there, and then you can use that back as going out in the flat and so on and doing different things. But you've heard me talk about that, and you can run keeps with Matt Fink. You do a lot of different things in stretching the, the defense, which USC had to do and did it, I think, somewhat well with Matt Fink. And I think the team showed a lot of confidence with him, but he's a great athlete. Now, when you look at it, and you guys argued with me all the time about this, I thought Jack Sears was the number one quarterback at the end of the spring. You heard me say that. Because I evaluate where you're putting this kid and what offense they're running. Nothing against JT Daniels or the new kid Solis or any of the great kids. But you've got to look at the type of program and what offense you're running. And I had it, as you know, Jack Sears, Matt Fink, 
and uh, then the other two kids, uh, and JT Daniels, which is a good kid, and of course he got the start because I said all along it was predetermined because he's a returning starter last year, but that didn't mean that that fits the offense that this new offense is with Graham Harrell. You saw it happen with Washington State last night. They're up 49-17, but they can't close the game because they can't run the football. All they needed to do is win the football and run the clock out, and they win the game, but they have six turnovers, and they lose the football the football game to UCLA. So when you need to have certain type of things in your offense and you don't have it, then you're going to lose football games. So Matt Fink, I think, fits the fits the what they're doing since Jack Sears isn't there anymore, and it's been a process of elimination, and I hate to say that, that's finally getting to the type of quarterback that fits their offense, that has some versatility, is an athlete, is mature, he's an older kid, and uh, he has been waiting his turn. So that's, that's, that's the way I feel, and I've said it all along, so it's not like all of a sudden I've changed and came back, and Ryan, you know that, and all of our regular listeners know that. So we'll see. And now the big question is going to be, if Solis is well and healthy, who's going to start the Washington game? And I know that's a question you guys will probably ask me. Yeah, Keaton Slovis, uh, you know, looks like concussion uh, symptoms. We'll uh, talk to Clay Helton. Uh, we have a conference call Sunday evening, so we're, we're recording this Sunday morning. So we'll have uh, some more information probably on him and if he, he's going to end up getting the start, if he'll be able to go for Washington or whatever. But, yeah, it was uh, – Certainly interesting. I, I think, you know, we got a lot of questions, so I'm sure we'll talk about stuff. But defensively, Coach, do you remember, I mean, there were still tackling problems. There were some guys that played good. There was other guys that maybe weren't playing as well. Uh, you know, containment issues. I think it really helped uh, USC when Zach Moss went out um, and didn't return to the game. It just didn't seem like the other running backs were uh, at say, that same level, which is understandable. He's one of the you know best running backs in the conference if not the country so him being out I thought was a big deal but also Utah moved the ball really well I think they only had one drive I believe that didn't uh end in USC territory I mean they they were crossing the 50 all the time but then once they did it seemed to you know there were just some issues that opening drive uh was was great for Utah but after that they just had a hard time in the red zone uh the USC defense would come up and make a play you know, turning the ball over at the USC two-yard line. I mean, there was some really crazy stuff. It was almost kind of like, if you remember Stanford uh, a few years ago when USC beat them and uh, they they got into USC territory. I think they got inside the 30 like nine times in that game and just kept kicking a few field goals, and that was it. So that to me, that was a strange – it was like it's completely bend-don't-break defense, but it worked for USC. Well, I agree with you, Ryan. I agree with what you're saying now. Uh... Zach Moss uh, was a big loss as far as to the Utah offense. He's a really great player. And it comes down to the same thing. Uh, uh, they don't have perimeter support. You see, th- you see teams running the jet sweep, but you don't see USC running the jet sweep. You don't see uh, them. Uh, they run option against uh, USC. Why? They're playing man defense. Everybody drives off. You hear me repeat the same thing. Every week, and the outside linebacker and linebackers or weak side linebacker or strong side linebacker are making the plays on the swing passes, making the tackle, and also on the options. Because when you're playing man and you're driving off, your linebackers and or defensive ends are responsible for the run read and also the outside perimeter. So uh, they run in the middle and they run at 
And I only say this is because Houston is not as a physical middle linebacker as others are, so they like to run at him, and they cut him off where he can't get to the gaps or make the tackles, or he drags you down rather than knocks you down. And nothing against the kid, I think he'd be a better west uh, weak side linebacker. So you, you look at that, and then you look at the perimeter, and you see why they're running the perimeter. And, uh, the, you know, the running quarterback has always helped or hurt USC when you're athletic uh, because they don't have contain on the outside, and, and teams are going to do that. Now, uh, Washington's a little bit different, and Notre Dame's a little bit different, but they do have athletic enough quarterbacks that they can hurt you by spreading the field. So I think that USC has got to learn to adapt to certain things and not be so stubborn not to do that. You know, when a team has the ball 17 more minutes than you do on offense, that's a lot of time of possession difference. And they did outgain the Trojans by over 150 yards, I think, in total offense, which is a lot of difference. But the Trojans found a way to win, and and I think that's what's important. But the point of it is you've got to improve on these areas and make adjustments or else other teams are going to take advantage of it, and, and you'll continually be trying to catch up or, or not shutting people out or playing great defense because you bend too much and people score on you. So these adjustments have got to be made, and, and uh, who knows when they're going to be made. But I've said that all along about the linebacker situation and the outside linebacker and, and all of the above. You've got some great players playing, but they've got to play their position and they've got to play their rules, and they've got to make sure that they understand that do my job, not someone else's, do my job. Um, one of the more interesting aspects of the game didn't have anything to do with the game itself. It was more about the, how the game was broadcast, the analysts for the game. Um, Matt Leinert, Reggie Bush, a couple of USC legends were there. Uh, they were right in the uh, end zone on the tunnel side. They had set that up before for the pregame show. So they were right on the Coliseum field and Urban Meyer as well. So uh, the former Ohio State, Florida coach and former Utah coach, all of those guys being there. Uh, I thought it was very important to come out and play well early to have a halftime lead. Um, there were people, there was a lot of Reggie, Reggie chants. Um, and there was, there was some, you know, higher Urban Meyer chants. But I felt like coach, it would have been pretty it could have been demoralizing for this team if they were losing at halftime and you hear a lot of that, you know, Clay Helton's running right past where those guys are uh, sitting, you know, like it, you know, Urban Meyer was like the further, further, the closest to the field uh, of anyone in that crew. And you, I mean, they were doing interviews like Clay did an on-field interview and basically right over his shoulder is Urban Meyer. Like it was, it was set up for, man, this could get ugly if the Trojans are losing. And, you know, even Reggie Bush was critical pregame, and we have a question about that, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I thought it was critical, Coach, for Clay Helton and the Trojans to put on a good showing, not just because the nation was watching and you needed to bounce back, but I thought it could have got ugly if USC started losing, and you got Urban Meyer right there. No, you're exactly right. It puts a lot of pressure more on Coach Clay Helton and his staff than anyone else because you've got someone looking over your shoulder, but that's the way it is. It's always that way, whether he's there or somewhere else. He might be sitting somewhere else with the president of the college at some hotel somewhere. You don't know, but you knew where he was, so you know he wasn't meeting with anybody. So that's not that bad. And as far as Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush and all of that, I thought it was tremendous. To bring that past uh, tradition into the Coliseum, the new renovated Coliseum, I've never agreed with uh, 
the sanctions the NCAA did. They had to even get permission from the NCAA to let Reggie Bush broadcast the game, for gosh sake, you know. You know, you've heard me say if I was Reggie Bush, I'd have kept the Heisman Trophy and I'd put the jersey back up whether they liked it or not because he's part of USC's traditional history and so on. And I would count it as a Heisman Trophy winner. I mean, hey, come on now. Enough's enough. And I tell you what, they and you saw me tweet this out, Ryan, obviously. The 15-yard penalty that Steps got when scoring that touchdown. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating penalties. But when he ran up to Reggie Bush, and Reggie Bush gave him a hug and a shove, that was worth every single bit of the 15 yards on national television, with the crowd, with everyone. Because when Steps grew up, I'm sure he wanted to be a back like Reggie Bush, a running back like Reggie Bush, and have the opportunity to meet him and score right in front of him. That united the past with the presence. And I think that's so important to see that to see those kids get excited about seeing these legends there at their games, broadcasting the game. And if you saw any other shots, you saw Matt Leinart really getting involved and uh, on the sideline and be encouraging in the end zone to the team and so on. Hey, that's what USC football is all about. That's a tradition of USC football. And you can't let anything come in between that. So I admire those type of things. Now, I might tell steps when he came over look where we have the ball oh, we had to kick off 15 yards deeper but in my mind i would have said i hope we survived this because that was great yeah uh that was i uh, yeah we, we got some questions on ready push and all that kind of stuff we'll talk about that in a little bit um let's get to let's i guess we'll just jump into the questions coach and we'll kind of talk more about the, the game um we got a text from james in manhattan beach he said urban during the pregame broadcast joking about uh, all the number five Reggie Bush jerseys in the crowd makes me ashamed that we don't have a retired number five in the stands. Salt in the wound is the fact that Reggie is so damn loyal to USC. He even voiced his allegiance with picking the the game outcome. What's the path to make it right and show Reggie the respect he deserves? Fight on forever, James Manhattan Beach. Well, I think uh, I basically summed it up. I would say as an administration... I would send a letter to the NCAA, and I'd say, okay, enough's enough. We followed these sanctions. We did everything we want. If he's good enough to broadcast all your collegiate football games all over the country, then it's uh, good enough for us to maybe we'll have him back on our campus and be a part of our football program tradition. And I would see what their answer is going to be. And uh, if they said no, I'd fight it. Uh, USC has a great legal staff. I'd fight it and say, okay. We didn't fight you then. It didn't do any good. Well, we're going to fight you now. I think every USC Trojan fan, or the majority of us, or you, or whoever graduated from USC, would say exactly right. Enough is enough. We paid our dues with the sanctions, the number of limited scholarships, all of the above. Enough is enough. He didn't, uh, you know, you know, he didn't uh, kill anybody. He doesn't need a lifetime sentence. Okay. He spent his time, he did his community services, he's followed the guidelines, it's time now to move on. And I'm proud of Urban Meyer for saying that. You know, a lot of people are critical of Urban Meyer, and his, you know, I, I hate to say this, they, they always pick out the negative things they want to write about Urban Meyer, rather than the positive things. Uh, 
had criminals he recruited and this and that and so on. Hey, please, people, take the general population of a student body and see how many kids get in trouble, okay? Why do you think they have all those committees they do to review all the different things that happen on Frat Row and everywhere else? Sure, kids get in trouble. They do dumb things. But that isn't. How can it be the responsibility of the football coach forever? Why isn't it the director of admissions who might have made the decision that it's okay to let this guy in school or whatever? Please, okay? I mean, yeah, and then the incident he had back at Ohio State, I'm not saying that's right. I'm not saying what happened with his assistant coach is right. But should that live with him forever? At Florida and what he did at Utah, he's a winner. He did it done. Look how many lives he's done or changed that are positive. And, uh, you know, you can always find negatives in anything. But I think he's a championship coach. I think the only thing they don't allow him to do on Fox is talk enough. I think some of the other kids, and I won't pick out their names, so I call them kids, talk more than the expert himself, and that's Urban Meyer. He's really good at what he does out there, so... That was interesting to see him in the Coliseum, like we said. Um, and I mentioned earlier, like Reggie Bush having uh, some criticisms of USC. And I noticed this too. Uh, this is referring to the warm-up. So they're doing their show and the teams are warming up behind them, not in uniform, but they they come out. And uh, Utah was in, I believe it was white. Everyone had the same white shorts on and red t-shirts or it was ver- reverse. I forget what it was, but they they definitely came out and looked like a team. USC was sort of wearing whatever they wanted, and there was guys with shirts on their head and no shirts at all. And so Reggie Bush said on the broadcast, he said, I see too many guys from USC out here warming up with their shirts off, other guys with shirts on their heads. Uh, It doesn't look like a team. This is a team sport. Put your shirt on. You're not undefeated. Put some clothes on and look like a football team. Uh, This should make not just the whole team feel embarrassed and ashamed, but Clay Helton as well. If Clay can't notice the small things, how can we expect him to win a national championship here? Curious uh, what coach thinks. Thanks and fight on, Scott and Brentwood. Amen. Uh, how long have you heard me talk about this in practice, in the games, sideline, coaching gear, players, sideline control, the whole thing? I've sat there and seen this every game. I've seen them come out, and I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're planning on going to the beach or playing a football game. Uh, different things. That, that's not the way you come out. You're trying to draw attention to yourself, please. And I agree with him. Coach Clay Helton, I love you, but hey, take control of these little things. It's embarrassing to the university. I know other people sit there from the other schools and look at that, and pro scouts that are sitting in the in the uh, press box, and they look at all those type of little things, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, yes, you won the football game, but yes, you want to represent the the university in a way that it's supposed to be respected and look good at whatever you do, and you never get a second chance at your first impression that people say that maybe this is the first time they came to a Trojan football game and they see this before the game even started. I agree 100%. Ryan, you hear me talk about this. I've been talking about this for five years in all assets and facets of practice, the games, the sidelines, and everything. And since you brought this up, I'll go a step farther. And if you have a question on this, that I'll, then I'll stop. Tell me. But after the football game, I can't figure out what's happening after the football game. I mean, normally after a football game, 
I tell, run over, shake hands with your opponents, and meet me in the locker room in five minutes as soon as I'm done with my TV and required interviews that I have to do with the media. Go in there, shut the door. I don't allow anybody in the locker room except for my coaches and my team waiting for me to come in there because I want to tell them what the itinerary is. Congratulations. If they pray after a game, they do that. You say what you did good. You say what you did bad. You review what's going to go on this weekend. Enjoy it, but don't do anything stupid. All of the above things you need to tell a family. Heck, there were some players on the field for 30 or 40 minutes. After the game in the stands, taking pictures of their family members and all this and that. What is that all about? How many of you watched the Georgia-Notre Dame game? After that game, there can't be a game bigger than that yet this weekend. Both teams did what they did and they ran off the field. They go off the field. They know where they're going to go waiting for their coach. I mean, what about the equipment guys? And the guys in there, are they thinking about them? You know, they got to take their uniforms, go across the street, wash their uniforms, stay up all night, get ready for practice the next weekend. And, then, and these guys are out there doing all this stuff. I mean, I think Reggie Bush is exactly, you know, didn't maybe see the end of the game. But what the hell, the only thing's missing is the buffet table. Why don't you invite everybody to dinner or have a post-game buffet? And if you're a parent out there and you're listening to me and you're cussing at me right now and so on, that's fine. But if, they're, if they, there's no rules, then kids will do whatever they want. So I don't blame the kids. Kids maybe want to go home with you in their uniform. Maybe they don't need to. It's a bye week or whatever. It's not a bye week. But I think there's a time you have to be together with the team immediately following the game when the adrenaline's high. You get them in there. You congratulate them. You talk what's good. You talk what's negative. You tell them about what you did. And then you're ready to break and you shower and get out of there. You don't just stay around all night on the field. So I had to vent on that. So if you're a parent out there, help Clay Helton out, okay? <laughs> That's not where the kid's supposed to be. You know darn well he's supposed to be in the locker room, okay? Thank you. All right. Uh, let's talk about the game a little bit more. Uh, we have a couple of questions on USC's uh, lack of run game. I think it was, what, 13 yards rushing or something? And uh, I believe 20 of those came on the final drive when they were running out the clock. So they were in negative uh, rushing territory for the majority of the game. Keith in New Jersey wrote in, a win is a win. Uh, especially an upset like this one. But I still have to ask, where is the run game on offense? <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry. Uh, does the air raid really mean it's over as we know it at USC? Thanks, uh, Keith in New Jersey. Well, <clears throat> Keith in New Jersey, they talk about running the football, but, you know, it's air raid, okay? And you've got to be able to work and believe in the running game. You can't win championships without being able to run the football. Did you watch Georgia run the football? Alabama runs the football. Clemson runs the football. Everybody runs the football, and they still run the wide-open passing game. But you can't be so one-dimensional that you just throw the ball every single down because you're not going to do it. You've got to be able to have a balanced attack. You've got to be able to, okay, we are a passing football team, but if you're going to drop back and cover everybody, we've got to be able to run the football and be able to wind the clock down when we're ahead and do what's necessary to win. And that's spread the field. And when you run a one-back offense and you have a quarterback that's not mobile, then you're in trouble. Now, if you run two backs and do crisscrossing and different type of things with your backs and play-action pass, then your quarterback can be less mobile because you have more holding of the linebackers inside and you come out with your bootleg and you utilize your backs and the flat and the seams and different things. Plus you have 
two additional blockers that you might not have had before. So, you know, it's something of a philosophy. And you've got to be able to look at the philosophy to understand it. Look at Wisconsin, okay? You know whose offense Wisconsin's running? USC's. They line up. Look at their recruits. They take the biggest offensive linemen in the country. They're one and two stars. Maybe they get a couple of three stars. They're all 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", 300 pounds. And all they do is line up, and every single year they have a, a tailback that's going to go into the NFL. They run him, and they run him, and they run him, and they pound you, and they pound you, and they pound you. And nobody's ready to play you. They can't stop you. They destroy you. And they're not the best players in America, but they become that because they're good at what they're taught, and they continue to believe in it, and they do it. Nobody can stop us. And they play good, sound defense. Their defense doesn't get the credit it should. But their offense keeps their defense off the field because they hold the ball all the time, and their defense can come back in and play great defense and get turnovers. So that's what SC used to win with. Used to be tailback you. And you hear me say all the time, you don't want to be like everybody else. You want everybody else to be like you. And USC is the type of school that can get the best offensive linemen in the country, the best running backs in the country, the best quarterbacks in the country. So why not do that? Yeah. Um, Speaking of run game, we have a couple voicemails about the run game, too. I'll play you this one first, Coach. Yeah, this uh, question is for Coach Hyde. The end of the first half, Utah-USC tonight. Uh, Obviously, they can't run the ball, but uh, I've come to the conclusion. um, You're always talking about why don't they use two running backs or why don't they run the quarterback. Uh, Your opinion, is it because they're being stubborn or they do not know as a coaching staff uh, what to do and how to make those adjustments. This is Chris from San Jose. Thanks. Chris, uh, I don't know the answer of what, why they do what they do. I'm just basically giving you like my philosophy and my, uh, knowledge of the game. And, uh, if you watch every team in the country, that's a great football team. That's, you know, running this offense. You see the Ohio State quarterback running. Lawrence runs. Uh, they all run. But you have to run. Uh, USC lost two quarterbacks sitting in the pocket. Randall Cunningham was one of the biggest runners uh, in the NFL. Runs, rushed for 4,800 yards during his career. And when did he get hurt? When the Eagles made him stay in the pocket. When they made him stay in the pocket. And I've talked to him about that all the time. He says, Coach, I used to love to hurdle and run and be the guy. They made me stay in the pocket. They used to yell at me, stay in the pocket, stay in the pocket. Well, I couldn't get out of the way of these guys. They bent me over and screwed my knee up. Well, that's what happened to JT Daniels and also the hit that poor uh, Kendon got uh, on Friday night. Keaton Slovis, yeah. Keaton Slovis. Yeah. And so, you know, these are the things that you have to look at and make everything what you say uh, everybody's got to be on the same page. Now, I'm not on the same page. I didn't write the book they wrote. Uh, and I think that you've got to look at what you need to be successful. And right now, I think they're beating themselves on what they're doing because they're not making it a complete offense one way or the other and utilizing their talent. We got one more voicemail question. Uh, this one's about Marquis Step. I'll play it for you. Ivan Redondo Beach. 
just got to say, watching the game tonight, can we feed Marquis Step the ball over and over and over and over again? Please, somebody talk about this, man. This has got to be said. Marquis Step needs the ball a lot more. Fight on. Thank you. Well, I don't know why. I'm not in their staff meetings. I know what they're talking about. But the kid is a load. Ryan, you were at spring practice with me, okay? We were all there. Who's shining? Who was possibly the biggest standout player in spring practice? Tell me, who was that on the offensive side of the football? It was Step, yeah. Right. Well, how can all of a sudden a guy like that disappear and just basically play? I don't even know if he played in the first game. Why all of a sudden is he below guys that didn't even play in spring practice because they were hurt? You've got to be able to play your best players and get your best players on the field. You have an obligation for that, and the team knows who the best players are. And If you're a defensive player, you know who you want to tackle and who you don't want to tackle. I mean, you, you do that lookout block, like, uh-oh, or lookout tackle. I don't want to hit him. And when he gets rolling and steam going, he's 230 pounds or plus. He runs at a good clip, and he's pretty good, has pretty good speed, too. He's going to be a load and get the extra yards. If you notice, every time they have a short yard situation or they need to score a touchdown on the run, they put him in. They were using Malapiai, who I think is a tough kid. Really like him. But Steps can be a great player, okay? And uh, you need to utilize not only your great receivers you have, but you need to utilize your complete offense and make it be a, comparable to each other. Where the running game he helps the offensive passing game, and the passing game helps the running game. I don't know an offense that throws the ball so much that doesn't screen, that doesn't draw, or do any of these type of things to sort of counteract the rush they're getting. Um, I'm curious to see, Coach, what they do going forward. There's been a lot of calling from the fan base for more Marquis Step. He was the guy when they needed to salt the game away, um, run out the clock. He was the one they went to. So maybe this, maybe this is a shift. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, I'm very curious, though, what's going to happen going forward. Um, we got an email from Jason. He said, question for Coach Hyde. After hearing Matt's, Matt Fink's comments regarding the non-existent uh, practice against the starting USC defense and hearing USC's great safety Taylor Mays comment how they would practice against the starting offense every day, how much of the horrible running game and quarterback injuries can be attributed to the lack of practice between the first-team offense and first-team defense? Is USC really one play away or one philosophy change away? Uh, to be fair, though, they do go – I mean, at least when we were seeing before, they would do ones versus ones. I think he didn't get to play against uh, the defense. But I'm, I'm not sure where he said that. I'll have to look up to see where he said that. But I, I, I don't think that they never run ones versus ones, Jason. Well, Taylor, you and I grew up or we played and coached at a different time where we felt the only way we could get better is go against good people. And when the games rolled around, the games were easier than practice because we normally had better players than everybody else. So if my big goes against your big, then my big's going to learn more and get tougher than somebody else's big because we had better players. And I think that's very important to do. I think it's important to build toughness, and, and I think the kids loved it. I think kids love to go ones against ones. Uh, it's spirited. You don't go for a long period of time. 
you might not believe this, but we did goal line every Thursday. Not a lot of plays. Ones against ones, put the ball on about the three or four yard line, go maybe five plays, and uh, you know, we played on Saturday, then Friday we'd be in shorts and do walkthroughs. Well, we'd like to just get a little tune-up, tune the engine up, go to the car wash, do everything you need to do to get ready for the party, which is on Saturday. And I think all of that type of time, sure, I used to close my eyes and say, oh, no, and hope that we get through it. And in 95% of the time, we did. But we became a better football team because of that. And we, we sometimes had to gamble that maybe somebody might get hurt. But in most situations, it didn't. And I think your shoulders, your football team, your quickness, your adjusting to the football, your tackling, everything becomes better when you go against ones, not scout teams, but you just can't do it once a week. Yeah. Uh, we have one uh, question from uh, Sergeant Rodney Strong. He's in uh, the U.S. Army, Fort, Fort, uh, Fort Lewis, Washington. He says, boy, am I happy for Matt Fink. Talking about a comeback story. It was a solid one for sure, but Utah has not played anyone all season, and they should not have been ranked in the first place, if you ask me. Well, that's pretty harsh. Uh, they, they beat U- BYU, who USC lost to. I mean, they, they're, they've done pretty well this season. I still see a loss to Washington, Oregon, and Notre Dame. Would it be safe to say like Clay, that Clay Hilton will come back for another year if SC goes 9-3? and Or do you feel the administration already knows that USC is good at winning some big games here and there, but will never be a f- true championship team? with Clay Helton as the head coach, and we'll look to replace him at season's end. Uh, thank you, boys, for all you do. You're my plug on SC all the way out here in Iraq. Uh, wow. Thanks for your service, uh, Sergeant Strong. Well, thank you very much. <clears throat> uh, I think that if uh, Coach Clay Helton goes 9-3, and three, he's going to be back as a football coach, and he's going to have the opportunity of opening up against Alabama next year in Arlington, okay? Pretty hard to remove, the, remove a coach that's 9-3, and three, okay? Uh, as a as a coach coming in, you look at this and you say, "Man, uh, that guy went nine and three, and if I don't go ten and two, eleven and one, I'm going to be removed." I I don't know. I just think that uh, you've got to respect a nine and three season, okay? Whether you're USC or anybody. Now, the Big Five or the Big Six schools. Uh, if you look at the scores yesterday, it's the same old thing every week. Uh, LSU sixty six points, Alabama forty nine points. Ohio State, 76 points. Washington, 45 points. You know, Clemson, 52 points. It's the same old thing. Wisconsin, you know, scores 35. I mean, the same big guys, you know, they're, they're going to get it done every week. But uh, <clears throat> to win a national championship, you got to be good and you got to be lucky, too. And you can't just be one-dimensional, okay? Yeah. I'm going to tell you that right now. So the biggest change in what they have to decide what they're going to do at USC is not Coach Clay Helton. It's what their philosophy and identity is going to be, okay? And you can't be all one and not the other. I mean, you've got to be both. You've got to be a well-rounded team. You can't have a great offense and no defense. You can't have a defense and no offense, whatever, no special teams. McGrath's done a good, great job, by the way, the place kicker. I want to give him credit there. So, you know, that's my point. That's what I say. Yeah. You're not going to play in the big time unless you have big time players with big time techniques and big times offense and defenses. We got a, a email from Jesse uh, up in Washington. He, he has four points here. I'll read you them all. But the first three, I think we've talked about already. 
and we'll get your comments on the last one. Uh, he said, what do you think of the edge play on defense? Seems like they automatically take a few steps laterally inside instead of coming up field and setting the edge. Uh, what do you think of the penalty of Marquis Step shaking Reggie Bush's hand? Uh, he said, I saw a lot of heart and tough physical play by this team overall. Why is it so difficult for them to run the ball consistently? Uh, they seem, uh, when they had to toughen up, I'm sorry, they seem that when they had to get tough up front, they do but in spurts. And then lastly, Drake Jackson, Talanoa Funga, where are we without them on defense? Uh, love the show. Fight on Jesse in Washington. Well, Jesse, I'll tell you what, you should have asked the first question, okay? Because we sort of hit on all those uh, points so far. And, uh, yeah, Vunga, I think, what do you have, Brian? 13 tackles, 1,300 solo tackles or something? Uh, I've talked to Pac-12 coaches, and they've told me he's the best defensive player on USC's team. And I have to agree with that. He's always around the football. In fact, sometimes he's a little bit too aggressive and gets burned on the pass a little bit. But uh, he's a great player, and Drake... Drake, what am I going to tell you about him? He's going to be a great player. He already is. If we could get the same uh, play out of the other side with some quickness and penetration and so on and hurry the passer and whatever, we'd be pretty good on defense. Uh, I have to agree with you. Uh, we're not a penetrating type of defense. Uh, occasionally you'll see uh, a defensive lineman come through the line of scrimmage and make a big play. In fact, uh, last week uh, they they did have a couple but uh, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't put the philosophy. I don't know what they're trying to do. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, they're going to get hurt until they figure out uh, that they've got to be able to have rules that stop the option and stop the quarterback run and stop the different things at the perimeter of the defense from the swings to the tosses to all the things that people are running, and they haven't made that adjustment since uh, the second game. Yeah. Um. Let's say let's go to another voicemail question. This is our buddy Curtis. Hi, Curtis from Moreno Valley. What I didn't like about the game yesterday was that nobody gave Clay Helton credit for the win. It's his team. It's his offense. It's his defense. It's his special team. We're not perfect, but we just beat then 25 Stanford and now the 10th team in the nation. Now I have to talk about diet. Ryan, you love your sweets, but you know if you eat too many cupcakes, you're going to be soft somewhere, just like Utah was soft in the defensive backfield. Oh, and I heard an announcer when I was listening to the radio, I was in the car listening to the game, that we were resorting to hero balls. Most of our yards came on long pass plays. That's what you guys would have said about the gumbo offense last year. Hero balls. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I've never ordered one, but I'm going to Subway tomorrow and order me a hero sandwich. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, Curtis, get me one too, okay? Yeah, sounds I like, good. I like, I like Subway. I like that. I, I want some lunches. cupcakes too. He was, he's making me hungry. <laughs> They have some deal at the Subway store that I go to where you get a free cookie. Ooh. If you if you get an order of some type, I never got the cookie. But when I go home, I have a bag of them I can eat when I get nervous, you know, during the games and stuff. But, uh, Ryan, you see my tweets after each quarter. After each quarter, I tweet out what I see in the game, 
what I think they're doing right and what maybe they're not doing. If you haven't been following me, go to at Coach Harvey Hyde, at Coach Harvey Hyde. It's just a short message to you all telling you what I see. You're watching the same game I'm watching. And I kept saying, and Ryan, I, I think you can say this is the truth, throw the ball down the field. Throw the ball down the field. They don't throw the ball down the field enough. They they throw the ball down the field. Pittman makes a couple of great plays, plays, catches. Vaughn makes a couple of big plays, catches, and they got the touchdowns. You've got to have them. They, first of all, respect your receivers. So throw the ball down the field. Keep them loose. Keep them really worried about that so your underneath stuff will go. And uh, not only down in fades or streaks, but the middle of the field when they start to go to the different types of coverages when their, their safeties are flying to the outside, you know, go down the field, stop, come back and run a post, post corner. Give them some uh, different looks to look at rather than just the fade or the streak all the time because you want to make them cover the entire field, too, on the passing game. Receivers, uh, when they have great receivers, you got to utilize them like you do uh, great uh, running backs and so on. So I keep saying throw the ball down the field. Things will happen good. You'll either catch the ball, Pittman can go up high, they're tall receivers, they catch balls, or you're going to get a pass interference. It isn't all bad. If it's an incomplete pass, they know you have that play, and they're going to be careful that they don't get beat on it because those corners out there all by themselves, they know that if they make a mistake, it's six points. So that's my thought on that. And I think I answered the question, the Subway sandwich question and all the other questions. I believe I did. I'm yeah. sorry, Curtis, if I didn't. Oh, he wanted to make sure that Clay Hilton got credit, too, for the victory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I want him to get credit, too, because he's the head football coach, okay? He puts it all together, so let's give him credit. The W goes on his side of the left column, and uh, congratulations to him, the coaching staff, and all the players. They beat the number 10th team in the country. We uh, got a voicemail here. Um, one of the kind of common themes, Coach, is people are happy with the win, but they want to see some more consistent play. Uh, this is I'll play this one for you. Here you go. Hello, Don from Upland. I expected Utah to simply crush USC. Their defense is weak. They don't pursue very well to outside offensive plays. The tackling is very poor. During the preseason, I heard a lot about how good Gaiote Ote was. To me, he's nothing special. Too slow in covering backs out of the backfield, and his tackle skills are not that good. I think he needs to drop a little in weight to be faster. Their offensive tackle, number 70, Jalen McKenzie, almost got Slovis killed. He threw a great lookout block on that play. I'm not really impressed by the play of USC. They are just too inconsistent, which translates to more losses down the road. Starting a new quarterback every week and scoring more points than their opponent looks like a great recipe for a win. Excuse me. Got a little sinus, guys. No problem. Um, well, uh, you know, I think consistency is always important. Uh, you've got to be able to show up and make adjustments. And if they're taking one thing away, you've got to be able to react to that. But you can't take everything away. I mean, you, if nothing else, it's 11 on 11. So you've got to be able to utilize your talent against their talent. If my X is bigger than your O, 
and my guys perform, then we should be in good shape. But if I don't make those adjustments and do the things that are necessary, it makes it more difficult for the football team itself. Uh, when you say coach, that means teacher. That means understanding what you're trying to accomplish both both on offense and defense. So I think that's so important that everyone understands what the philosophy is when you teach it at the beginning that this is what we're going to do, and if they do this and we can't run this play, then obviously there's something else over open over here or somewhere else. And I think that's something you have to do. Uh, everything now is uh, no huddle. There's no conversation in the huddle at all. There's a few teams that are still huddling. But I don't know. It's all copycat type of thing. I like communication. I like talking in the huddle about down-distance situation, how important, how necessary this play is. Is there everybody on the same page? Do we understand what we're doing? Don't forget, if you're, if you're covered over here, I'm coming back to you over on that side, Pittman. I mean, this type of communication. So I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, like I said earlier in today's show, you know, I want to be who we are, not like everybody else. But again, that's a philosophy. It's a copycat type of thing. All right. Hey, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and finish up the show. we got a few questions left. We'll be back in just a minute. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. We've got a question from Ira, Coach. He wrote in, I think this was before the game, but I thought it was interesting because he talks about wanting to see more Matt Fink. He said, if the defense of the opposing teams are going to drop eight and rush three, why not put in Matt Fink, who can run the ball and have RPOs or other quarterback run packages for him? He could share time with Keaton Slovis so, so as to not ruin his confidence, uh, at least make, up for the, make that defense pay for their scheme. Thanks from Ira. Well, yeah, we've been talking about that, Ira, and uh, it happened for you. It's a bad way for it to happen as far as Matt Fink getting their turns, but it is important that you're able to utilize the entire field and have a uh, either or, or, and there's so many other things they could be doing, not just with the quarterback, but with Brown coming across the face of your pro, uh, offense and running jet sweeps and doing different things, uh, counters and I don't know. I don't see any type of counter sweeps. I don't see any type of counter sweep fake uh, blocking. What I mean by that, you run the sweep blocking, but you play action pass off of it to make the keys tougher. You know, it's just all the same. It's just uh, what you call vanilla. It, it works uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, as far as the philosophy Graham Harrell has. But I don't think it's a complete package, but you don't have anything else that goes along with it. I mean, it's just so vanilla that, uh, like he said earlier, it's supposed to be fun and everything's on a four-by-six card. And that's what Mike Leach has, too, on a four-by-six card. But you can see what happens when you can't put a game away. And last night, there's no excuse for Washington State not beating UCLA when they're up 49-17. to You run the football, 
You don't get crazy. You don't go for stats. Uh, you got enough to win the football game. Just run the football, run the clock out, and win the game. Well, now, obviously, he's lost the football game, so they're out of going to the playoffs, and and that's the way it goes. So and UCLA's happy camper. They come home and score 67 points on a team and have 62 or 62 scored against them, and they win. Yeah. So, you know, who knows? I mean, that's not what I call football, okay? A football is supposed to be hard-nosed, uh, all the different things that you have. It's not the number of plays you have. It's how you execute them. And if they do this, I do that. Yeah. We had a question from Don. Uh, he says, where in the world is Wale? He's talking about uh, Oluwale Batiku. He's uh, at Illinois. I think I think he has six sacks. I didn't see what he did uh, Saturday, but um, he, you know, he was leading the nation in sacks for a while. I think he's second or something now. But uh, where's Wale? What's different? Coaching? Schemes? Is he healthy? A five-star looked like a two-star at USC. Now he looks like a five-star at Illinois. Please explain. That's Don. Well, I can't explain it, okay? He came in out of high school as one of the most heralded offensive players or defensive players. And, Ryan, you know more about that with Gerard and everybody. You guys follow the recruiting, and I I follow it some, but not to the you know depth you guys do. As one, I think he was a top defensive lineman or defensive end in the country or at least in California. And he came in, and uh, it just didn't happen. There's others that happened, too. Griffin out of Arizona and some of these others came in, and they're still playing in the NFL and doing a great job. I don't know what happens, but, you know, you've got to have your players get better, get better, and put them in a position where they can perform. And if they're confused, uh, then you got to make it easier. Because they have great talent, obviously. So, you know, you've got to make your players better. You recruit them, but then again, you've got to, they've got to become better players. So I think that part of the program hadn't been there, and it's, it speaks for itself. I'm not, just, you know, I'm not a genius in saying that. You can all look at that. So uh, he goes somewhere else. He gets an opportunity. He gets a new start. And it's the same way with the receivers. Those two JC receivers, they had one out of Long Beach City and one out of Mount Sac, I think it was, a couple of years ago, they couldn't play at USC, and they both transferred, and they both, I'm not sure if they're in the NFL or not, but they got great turns, and they, they came out great. So you've got to be be able to evaluate talent. You've got to be able to put them in the right positions, and you've got to be able to tell some kids they got to wait. And today, a lot of kids don't wait. They want to go uh, uh, and play immediately, and you probably tell them that when you recruit them. That's what they want to hear. But everybody can't play. You've got to earn your way to be a starter. And I think if you play the right players, I think kids understand who's the best and why they're not playing. And that's what you have to make clear to them, why or what and what position and what they need to do to get better and improve themselves so they can play. And sometimes kids listen and sometimes they don't. And sometimes kids just expect it because they've been pampered their entire high school period as far as television and everything else and interviews and announcing their where they're going to school, and they don't come in really prepared to maybe have to deal with that, to compete again and do what's necessary to be successful, just like we talked about earlier about on the field and the way they act and dress and do the things after the games and so on. You know, you got to be in control, and that is part of the same development that should be done with a football program that's on the field, off the field and on the field. Everything you do with those kids, you're developing them for life. 
on the things and the skills of what they do when they go to work or whatever else they do. So I think you're really hurting the kids when you don't enforce the things that are important. All right, Coach, we've got one last question for you. This was a text. I wasn't going to read it, but it's from Japan, so I like the international ones. Jason in Japan wrote in, Hey, team, I've got this Clay Helton thing figured out. He wants to get fired. He knows he won't be a head coach again, but has, but he has uh, the big extension and knows he'll be paid to walk away. He will retire with Miss Angela in income tax-free Texas and sleep on a mattress stuffed with cash. It's the only explanation for not tackling more in practice or ever changing anything after a loss. That's Jason from Japan. I think he wrote that before uh, the game, actually. Well, no one wants to get fired, okay? <clears throat> Coaches have egos, as everybody else does. Players have egos. Teachers have egos. Everybody has an ego, okay? I have an ego. Ryan, you have one. You might not know that, but uh, everyone does. But you want to be the best at what you do, and you try to work hard to be that. And you have to live with getting fired. It's not easy to live with getting fired. You know, you think that uh, that you failed at what you were paid to do. I don't think anybody wants to get fired. And Sure, you're going to get a lot of money, but you don't want to go out that way, okay? You want to go out as a champion. Some people stay in coaching too long. And they get tired and worn out, and all of a sudden it catches up to them, and then they end up losing their job, okay? So you got to know exactly how long you have, what you can accomplish, what job you're at, what responsibilities you have at that job, and I think you have to make it like Brian Kelly and the others do, or Kirby Smart and all of them. Surround yourself with great coaches that take these great players that you recruit and make them get better and put them in a position to win. And uh, I think that uh, this is part of the job. But getting fired is something you don't want to do. Yeah. I, I, I don't think anybody wants to get fired at any job uh, out there, no matter what you do. It's, uh, it's not a good feeling to go home and tell your family and your kids, and hey, I lost my job today. It's not easy because uh, your family depends on you. They're proud of you. They go to school. People read the newspaper. Your family reads the newspaper. It's not easy on anybody. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for the, the, the uh, text all the way from Japan. Appreciate that. And thank you, Coach. Uh, great stuff. A really interesting win for the Trojans. They're going to hit the road for a couple of tough games, but uh, much better spot now than they were uh, you know, after that loss to uh, BYU and, and now ranked number 20, 21 in the AP poll. So being ranked again, I think, certainly is a good thing, too. It's always good. Now the next thing, you, you move on to the next game, which is going to be a tough game in Washington and Ryan you didn't ask me so maybe next week uh, you would ask me who would I start at Washington oh. no one asked that question yeah, let's, let's you say. don't have to ask me that question but I think you know the answer you yeah you would rather see a Matt Fink and you know it's, I'm curious because we don't know what his status is is it going to you know how's that going to change um, but would you even want to, if Slovis is still your guy, um, and he's questionable, would you rather put, you know, give him the time to the bye week, uh, and then play against Notre Dame and throw Matt Fink in there and see what he can do. I'm curious to see what the coaching staff, uh, does once, you know, they figure out if he's, if he's able to play, if they would not play him, um, I kind of think he'll play no matter what against Notre Dame, you know, as long as he's healthy. But I, I'm, I think it might be a toss-up for Washington because it's so quick. 
Well, my feeling is this. I'm going to play the player that we have the best chance of winning, okay? I think I have that obligation to the university, the football team, and so on. So I'm going to play the player that gives us the best chance to win. And I'm telling you, Washington's a very physical team. They're going to come after you. They're defensive line. They've got a great offense. Easton really throws the ball well. They can score points. So I've got to be able to have a quarterback that is somewhat uh, has athletic ability. And I don't want to put a kid in there that they know where he is. And they're going to go after him and, and hurt him, if nothing else. So I'm going to go with Matt Fink. And I'm going to have him run the football. I'm going to do everything we have to do to win. Because if you hold back, you're not going to have a chance, okay? You've got to go in there with the idea that we're going to win this football game, and whatever it takes, we've got to get it done. And I'm not going to listen to my offensive coordinator or my quarterback coach or anything as a head football coach. I'm going to make the decision that the best player plays that we have a chance of making our offense go and beat the Huskies in Washington. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to do. So right now... I would start Matt Fink, and uh, I would hope that he would make it through the entire game. And if we don't have a backup, we don't have a backup. But that's the way I'd go with it because that's what it takes to win. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, thanks for uh, coming on, sharing all your thoughts, everyone else out there. Thank you so much for listening to the Parastyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.